Welcome to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Michelle is a fellow tourism uh, colleague from way back. Uh, and we were just chatting on LinkedIn the other day and Michelle told me something that kind of blew my mind. So welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Um, so, so tell me, can, are you happy to share what you told me the other day on Facebook? I'm sorry, on LinkedIn. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, yeah, so basically when I was um, about seven or eight years old, both my um, parents were diagnosed with cancer. And um, when I was 10, both of them died about three months apart. Holy shit. Like, okay. So how did you process that at the time? Um, Well, I would have been about, yeah, seven, seven or eight years old. And it was, it was strange for me because it was, how it started was quite interesting because I everything was normal. I was actually growing up in a country country town um, at that stage where we knew everybody on our entire street. And what happened was um, my brother and I were just playing in the front yard. My mum was mowing, mowing the lawn and all of a sudden um, she started calling me my brother's name. Um, and I'm saying, that's not my name. That's not my name. And I just saw that she was a bit out of it. And my brother, who's two years older than me, so he would have been close to 10 at the time, um, basically said, Mikhail, something's not right. We need to go to the neighbor. Um, so yeah, so from there we, um, went to the neighbor and then, um, next minute the ambulance came and I guess that was the start of it. And for me being that age, I just couldn't process it. All I knew is that my mom thought I was my brother. I was a girl and, you know, that wasn't my name. And I just was a bit confused, I guess. Um, and at that time I didn't know exactly what would be ahead of me or this, um, yeah, trauma and changes. Whoa. Yeah. So what was actually wrong? What had happened? Yeah. So it was a melanoma, um, which turned into a brain tumor. So which caused a confusion, um, in my mom of my mom. Right. Okay. So yeah. she goes to hospital and then I guess she gets yeah. diagnosed at that point. Yeah. Okay. And back then, this was like 1995, 1994. So back then there was, I think in Australia, we didn't know too much about, you know, these type of cancers and, um, you know, yeah, a lot has changed nowadays since then. And so it took a little while for them to figure out exactly what was going on. Right. Okay. So she yeah. goes to hospital. Your family would just be in shock, including your dad. Mm-hmm. So, so your dad so, at this point is looking after your mum, I'm guessing. Yeah. So my dad was working uh, full time. Um, he was a civil engineer working for the government. So I guess being in government was fortunate. They're a bit more um, flexible, uh, especially when, you know, you're suffering from these kind of things. Uh, but we had, um, we had to actually move, end up, we ended up moving to Perth because we had our family there and um, more people to help with, you know, my brother and I. Um, so when he found a job, another government job in Perth, um, he was then actually diagnosed with lymphoma. I think it was um, Hod- uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or one of the, the worst one, I can't remember. But yeah, yeah. basically, um, and back then there, 
there wasn't really a cure, um, the success rate wasn't overly high. And I think there was even, um, from what I hear from my family now, there might have been some form of misdiagnosis as well. Right. Okay. Yeah. So At the how much later is this that he finds out that he's... Uh, this would have been less than six months later. Right. So your mum is yeah. battling cancer, very serious, like it's gone to her brain. Has she had surgery at this point? No, no. Was it, was she able to have surgery? I'm not sure. Like some of the things, um, because, you know, I was so young, aren't 100% clear, but I know that she was admitted to hospital. She was having a lot of scans. Um, I'm not sure if surgery, if she had surgery, I think surgery was more at a later stage, um, but she had, you know, treatments and everything and she lost her hair, um, you know, getting a lot more, a lot skinnier. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was uh, very, I just started seeing a very different woman. Right. Okay. So in the space of six months, you go from playing mm-hmm. in the front yard, both parents, you know, you're probably not thinking about them, you're a kid, to having yeah. your mum diagnosed with a really serious uh, form of cancer. Mm. House, so you've moved to Perth, that's a big upheaval. And then your dad yeah. finds out that he's also got cancer. And so what yeah. happens then? Like what's the process from there in? Like have you got people um, supporting you? Yeah, so we, um, I think um, back then, I think they still had the assistance from the Cancer Foundations and that way they would actually send a volunteer or um, someone to basically look after, help look after the family and, you know, um, provide meals and things like that. But we, I also had my grandparents on both sides, aunties and uncles, uh, friends, um, that now their parents have become second parents to me, um, just basically looking after my brother and I. Um, so, you know, my parents are going in and out. My dad continues to work throughout this whole time. And, um, yeah, so we ended up, yeah, buying they end up buying a house in Perth um just trying to make sure that my brother and I are just set up for the future and yeah so there's all this this change happening and it's just not in control at all wow so do you visit your mum in hospital and your dad's kind of nominally your primary carer but he's still working and also sick so I guess, mm. how does that work? Does he come home from work and then take you to the hospital or do you do you spend a lot of time at your grandparents' houses and, and sort of extended families' houses? Mm. Um, yeah, so not so much my dad because my dad was then, you know, going to hospital for himself, to doctors for himself, for his own um his own cancer, but it was, yeah, all my family, um, family friends, they were just basically taking us to their houses, taking us to the hospital, um, you know, everywhere. It's, uh, I, I, I'm not sure how it would have been if we didn't have that, that network, that support network. Yeah, right. And so were yeah. you at that age fully aware of what was going on or did you just think mum's really sick and dad's sick but everything's going to be okay or was it mm-hmm. kind of explained to you that this was heading in heading south basically as far as your parents' health was concerned? I knew that things weren't looking good. Um, I understood to some extent what cancer was, but by that stage, you know, towards the end, especially when I was about, because uh, I died when I was 10, um, I didn't understand the full complexity of what would happen after or, you know, that 
when they die, it's basically it, you know, I'll never see them again. Um, so I guess it was trying to, I was trying to understand that. And I was actually missing a lot of school as well. Like I remember I would have been year four and I think I half missed of the year. I was behind in mathematics. I was behind in everything. I was struggling to know what fractions were. It was just, yeah, I, I was really, really struggling emotionally, which then, you know, affected my, my, my schooling, um, everything. We, so yeah, year, I guess it was three, a mix. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, year three to year five was okay, when I was experiencing so really foundation yeah. learning going on there. And, oh, yeah. Um, and kids that age are usually just so happily in their own world, you know, like you're sort of yeah. just thinking about what you're doing on the weekend and that's about as far yeah. ahead as you might think. Like you're probably not yeah. even thinking about this afternoon. And so yeah. how could you conceptualise what the future could look like because had anybody else died at this point in your life had you known uh, no. involved? yeah okay so this was the first yeah. first run at it um what a doozy holy shit mm. so i guess coming towards like so school's sort of falling apart a little bit and so there's a period of two years where this goes on by the sound of it so in that time you know, do you kind of continue to try to go to school or do you just sort of give up on school or what happens? Yeah, so I kept on attending school. So did my brother who was actually um, by that stage, you know, uh, he was he was because he's two years older. So he was 10, 11, 12. So he was becoming a bit of like a, he was becoming a teenager. So for him, I actually think it was worse, like the emotions that he was going through because he understood it more um but yeah so a lot of school was missed but we were also um provided work to do at home as well um which I think my mum ended up doing for me sometimes because I was just too emotional to do it and she enjoyed doing it so I missed um yeah a lot a lot okay so at what point did did your dad ever sort of end up in hospital as well like towards yes So was there a point where they were both in hospital and were they in the same hospital? No. So they were in different hospitals. Um, I, um, my dad, it was, it was, it was actually out of both my parents to see them. It was more difficult to see my dad and how he was because my dad went from being like a Ironman competitor, um, doing the big swim from Perth to Rottnest, which is a, quite a decent swim, um, you know, being extremely fit, eating extremely well, um, to hearing him just constantly complaining about the hospital food and just being extremely skinny and then just not being able to recognise him. And even his sense of humour, which he always had this amazing dry sense of humour just w- was inexistent. Um, so, yeah, whenever I'd see them, you know, they'd be lying in a bed basically. Um, and then when they were home, it was, they were just very, like moving very slowly or just trying, like trying to keep strong. Uh, I think my mum remained the strongest because she wanted us children to see, you know, what was going on. Um, but because she was suffering from a brain tumour, you know, it's very difficult to manage what you're saying. I mean, your personality can change um, when you're going through a brain tumour. Whereas my dad, I think, because he was always so used to being strong and healthy, he just really, really couldn't um, manage it emotionally or hide it um, as much as my mom. Oh, man. Because I guess I, I imagine that your mum still 
she wanted to stay in there till the end as in like you know oh, she did it's your mom she doesn't yeah. want to leave you and I'm sure your dad didn't either um it's oh, but I suppose their relationship would have how did their relationship cope with all of this did they stay I'm not sure yeah. They stayed together, but because I was so young, for me, I was just focusing on myself, focusing on, you know, what, I guess, knowing what I'm told, you know, and, and seeing from body language, you know, when you think when you're, you're quite young, you miss a lot of things, you're given the, uh, a certain context, and then you, you, know, you have to work with that. Um, so mm-hmm. it was very filtered. Um, and that's where I think my brother knew more mm-hmm. um, than I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so the day comes when one of your parents died. So so who who died first? My dad. Okay, yeah. so your dad passes away. Was he in hospital when that happened? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and did you sort of know it was coming? Like had they given you some indication that this is looking, you know, when they say he's probably going to die in the next couple of days, you need to hang out at the hospital and be here. Is that what happened? Yeah, so I was warned that things were not looking great. Um, but I remember the day that I found out, I because my dad, you know, he was my favorite person in the entire world. I was I was a daddy's girl, and I just remember the day that I found out. I ran into the hospital, and I actually saw him um, dead on the bed, and I just I, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, I come from a European family, so it's very traditional. They even had like the open casket and everything. Um, and it's something which I've never, ever been able to get out of my head. I wish I hadn't seen him like that. Um, but when I ran into hospital room, um, he, I was just like, I think I was poking him or something saying, daddy, wake up, daddy, wake up. And I just couldn't understand it. And then, um, people would try to take me out of the hospital room and then I would run back in again. So I know he's still alive. He's still alive. And I think I even remember putting my head on his chest and trying to hear his heartbeat. Um, yeah. And then when I saw him at the, when he had his funeral, um, he, I, I, again, I kept doing the same thing, running in and out, running in and out. I just, I I wouldn't accept it. Okay. So you were in denial that this has happened Mm -hmm. and it's really hard to, I guess, put those pieces together as a child, because it sounds like you've been shielded a lot from yeah. what's going on. And so you're only kind of exposed to parts of this journey that your parents are yeah. on. And, um, and I imagine that your family and friends are really trying to cushion you from this. So when it does finally happen, it wouldn't register, I guess. No. And, and so this funeral happens and then you go home and then three months later, you're back there. My mum. So you're, you're, yeah. did your mum die in hospital as well? Yeah, she died in hospice and I actually saw her when she was in a coma. So I think my, so after actually, after my dad died, I think she was actually told that she was on the recovery. Um, but because it was still early times, knowledge of cancer and that, um, it kind of just, she wasn't, she didn't end up being on the recovery. And then, yeah, obviously she went into a coma and, um, and then died, but I actually had a letter from her saying that she was recovering and that, you know, and then telling me how much she loves me and that she will see me again. And yeah, it obviously didn't happen. Um, but I remember, yeah, running into the hospice and just um, seeing her there and again thinking, no, 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 she's awake. She's, she's you know, just having a sleep and um, yeah, Ugh, it's a lot to take in. 
Wow. So this little 10-year-old girl and her 12-year-old brother are now orphans. And so three months later, you're back at another funeral. And I am guessing people do not know how to treat you. Like, I, I, I guess your grandparents, because every, everyone else is grieving too. But so how do they treat you? How do the adults treat the kids, you guys? I feel that they protected me too much but I guess no one ever knows how to respond in this situation I think they did the best they could um they were also all struggling themselves um I feel that I was very emotionally immature and it continued on and I acted out through all of and rest of primary school and high school like I just wasn't ever myself um they ended up putting me on ADD medication to try to manage um my excessive energy, which I still to this day think was um, major post-traumatic stress because I um, went off my meds when I was 18 and I'm really, I don't, you know, I don't see that I was ADD ever. Like I can focus extremely well. Um, but I think it was easy just to say, oh yeah, she's this, um, take this medication. And then, oh wait, this medication's making her depressed. Oh, let's put her on Zoloft at 11 years of age. Yeah. And so I was just like this this kid just floating around. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was um I ended up getting bullied for all sorts of things. Many of the times I think I brought it on myself because it just I was just a bit out of it. Um but yeah, it was um pretty full on. So where did you live when when your mom and dad had um, both passed away? Yeah, so I was brought up Catholic, so I had godparents. Um, I think these days people call them um, mentors as well. But, yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> so um, I ended up, yeah, living with them. Um, I wasn't easy. <laughs> I actually really didn't like them when I lived with them, and I don't think they really liked me much either. Um, but they really helped me um, as well become who I am today. I My parents always brought me up with strong values and morals. And um, even though I was never myself, I was never overly religious. I was too analytical. <laughs> I was very much like, yeah, thinking this is, this is what it is um, and go from there. But so I believe what got me through was just having that strong support network and um, never giving up on me. Like these people that I lived with, my godparents, you know, um, some family members judged them and that, but I think what they did was amazing. Like, you know, they weren't even related to us. They were good friends um, of my parents and, you know, they brought my brother and I up and um, I was a massive challenge. My brother was a massive challenge and, yeah. But I guess they didn't know to offer you. Yeah. Were you ever offered counselling, grief counselling? Yeah, I was, but I didn't like my counsellor because, again, he was just saying, oh, she's got ADD, you know. Um, I remember him trying to judge my timekeeping skills or something and drawing a big clock and then because I had a digital watch telling me that I should have an analogue watch. Like I just remember these really bizarre things. <laughs> Since then I'm like, yeah, I wish I had seen a better uh, psychologist. Yeah, it sounds like you just didn't have a therapeutic <laughs> alliance with this person and yeah and maybe I wasn't open to it either maybe I just remember those things because I was choosing what to remember I don't know but yeah yeah oh so you've like you're still having a tough run basically like at this point like you're kind of in high school it sounds like you know being bullied and and sort of on different medications and probably to yeah. some degree believing the diagnosis that there might be maybe something chemically wrong with you and Mm. so at what point did you sort of think hang on a minute there's nothing wrong with me just my parents died really suddenly when I was a kid and I ended up living with some 
other people who I didn't like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'm just unhappy. <laughs> yeah, I think I was about 16 um, because I just remember, like, I was always extremely hyperactive and trying to be naughty and just always trying to be really loud and get attention for anyway. Um, it didn't matter if it was bad attention, good attention, just attention. And I think when I was 16, I stopped needing that. And I guess I became a lot quieter and more just to myself and kept to my friends. I wasn't really requiring attention to make me feel better or keep my mind off. I still to this day don't know why I acted that way. I guess that's part of trauma and way different personalities manage um, different things, especially as a kid when, you know, you are um, emotionally immature. Um, and yes, I think it was about 16 and I just calmed down. And then when I was about 18, between 18 and 24, I just continued to change and just matured a lot and realized that I'm really strong, um, that I have a lot of resilience, um, that I'm actually, I have an extremely heightened sense of empathy as well. Like I can really feel things, but I'm also, I can control that as well. Um, besides having the Ukrainian blood where we might get a little bit, Electric, Ukrainian <laughs> oh, and Irish. <laughs> yeah, oh. but um, yeah, I think I realised things about myself, and I, I learned to love myself um, rather than you know always be like, oh, I wish I could be like this, I wish I could be like that, and um, yeah, I think in a way, such a horrible, horrible thing that I've been through has made me a better person um, today. So yeah. there are a couple of things. Um, yeah. Just going back to the attention-seeking behaviour, do you sure. think that maybe it's because during a time when you would normally have a lot of attention from your parents, you didn't get that? You didn't get mm. the attention of your parents because how could they possibly have the time and energy to focus on you solely? Because that's kind of what kids need at that age. So maybe yeah. just because you didn't get the attention you actually maybe. needed in that stage of your development. So, to me, that sounds like a perfectly normal reaction. Um, yeah. And I think if you'd had a better psychologist, they could have really helped you and made that a lot less yeah. painful. But, but going forward to the point where you understand that you just need to love yourself and that you, you've come yeah. to a point of self-acceptance, did anything help you with that? Was it the love of your friends or what, did you have some sort of revelation or was it religion? Was there something that kind of mm. helped you come to that point of self-love? Yeah, so actually I think the biggest thing for me was moving to Sydney. I always felt that I was trapped and I was defined in a certain way in Perth, even though I ended up having a lot of friends after school and, I, you know, everything was fine. Um, I felt that moving to Sydney allowed me to decide who I wanted to be. People didn't know my background because one of the things that I hate, and this is probably part of the reason why I don't tell many people about my parents, is because I hate it when people feel sorry for me. I really hate it. And or if they start acting differently around me because of that, um, because in school I always had the pity and I just didn't like it. Um, and I felt in Sydney no one knew about it. I could choose who knew about it. Um, and you know, it just, I guess that defined me and then focusing on my career because I, you know, I didn't do well in school, even though I could have, if I had focused more and in Sydney, I just, yeah, I changed, I changed everything, changed my career. I, yeah, I really made myself something. Um, and I feel that that, that allowed me to say, Hey, I got this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah okay yeah so moving cities and sort of yeah reinventing yourself in a way yeah 
And so what about your brother? How did he cope with all of this? Yeah, so he's definitely, he's, he's quite introverted. I call him an introverted extrovert because around his friends he's an extrovert. But then um, he's also very, um, he's, he's very protective of himself and the people around him. Um, so he doesn't let everybody in. Um, I love him to bits. He's, he's my brother, always has been my older brother. Um, but he's, he distanced himself from the family a lot. And I guess he felt let, let down in a lot of ways. Um, he doesn't tell me much. He doesn't even, we don't even talk about our parents much. Um, even to this day, it's been, I think, 20 years now. Um, but he, um, he ended up moving to Sydney as well. Uh, we actually lived together for a while in Sydney. Um, that didn't last long, but <laughs> we did. Um, and he's, um, which he ended up returning to Perth as well, but is moving away um, again. But, um, yeah, I feel that he should have seen a really good psychologist. It would have helped him a lot. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think we could all say that for ourselves. Um, you know, yeah. I, I just think we all need therapy. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, I think so. benefit from therapy. But um, <laughs> so, okay, because you, you would almost assume that you and your brother would be super close because this is the yeah. family like apart from grandparents, so are your grandparents still on the scene? Um, so they were. Um, now it's just my nana on my mum's side um, and my didush, which is um, Ukrainian for granddad. He was, um, he died, I think a couple of years ago at like 95, 96 years old. Um, but yeah. So, so why are you um, really my nana now. them or are you still close to your god family who kind of raised you <laughs> you know you were both it sounds like you were both somewhat reluctant in that situation but it was such an act of love that they you know you said you maybe didn't like each other but do you still really <laughs> love them are you still close to them I have a I have a major soft spot soft spot for them I think I distanced myself from them for years um I just I couldn't be around them I felt that if I was to be around them that it just I don't know, I, I felt that I would have to pretend to be a certain way or certain expectations and that, and maybe it was all on me, um, but it just didn't feel comfortable. I felt that I needed to find myself first before I could um, reattach myself. But I didn't just drop off from then. I actually dropped off from a lot of my family. I think like my brother did, I just, you know, didn't do the usual catch-up calls, just felt like, no, you know, I don't want my family, you know, having expectations of me of how I should be worried about me. I just want to be me. Um, and it's now since I've returned to Perth and I think also living in Peru and seeing being in a culture where family is so important, I've realized like, no, I need them. And um, I want my son to be around, you know, people that, you know, he can um, look up to and, you know, that love him, that he can love. And now I'm really trying to get close with these people that, um, with my auntie and uncle, I call them, um, mm. again. Um, and yeah, it'll take time, but you know, I'm, I'm feeling optimistic. Yeah. Mm. Well, I guess you're, you're in the right town and you also have a kid. So I think yes. sometimes that having a child, especially a cute small child, <laughs> opens a lot of doors. Because yeah. you know, it's it, you. You said you're already a very empathetic person, but you develop a lot of empathy when you have to care for a child. Yeah. The selflessness yeah. that that requires. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> have you found that like becoming a mom and like you know has that sort of opened some doors with your family for you? 
Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's also an excuse to see people. <laughs> like, yeah, look at my cute kid. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, um, I yeah, definitely has helped. Um, I actually suffered a little bit of um, postnatal after because of lack of sleep, and I was actually seeing a really great psychologist in Peru. Um, and she was saying that, you know, if anyone has lack of sleep, they can bring out numerous forms of depression and anxiety. Being a parent has allowed me to learn a lot about myself and, um, yeah, definitely. And reach out to others, not be afraid to reach out. So you're married, you have a son. Yeah. Do you feel now that you have a family? Cause it sounds like your brother isn't the warmest of fuzziest guys. Um, but do you feel now, okay, like I've lived all this time without like my own family. Um, do you feel now that you have your own family and, and that gives you strength or, uh, and in the process of becoming your own family, did you miss your mom and dad more than usual? Yes. Oh yeah. I've had a few moments of tears and I'm not even the, I don't cry very easily, but I've had yeah a few moments of tears and I, um, yeah, there's many times where I wish they could see him and he actually looks a little like some of, um, he definitely has some of the genes. He's, my son's middle name is my dad's first name. Um, so I've tried to, and I have a photo and I've tried to like integrate them as much as I can in his, in his life. But I've also, my dad's brother, I've made him the, the kind of like a grandparent as well for my son, um, which is really nice. So I feel like in a way I'm still involving them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So I guess part of my story my son needs to know that. Yeah. 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 Cause it's like, it would be really hard to move away from that tragic, I guess, um, people would label you as this person with the tra- tragic story. So returning yeah. to Perth, do you feel as though you've shed that label of poor Michelle or do you feel as though um, people, it's so much older, you're so much older, that was so long ago, you'll look at you now, you're so successful. <laughs> um, do you feel like you've managed to shake that label of, of the tragic little girl? I think it matters less to me now um, because I know who I am and I'm not too worried about making sure everybody likes me. (laughs) I think once you get into your 30s, you're like, yeah, you know, if I stick to my own, you know, moral code values, I'm not hurting others. I'm, you know, trying to help others, you know, things like that. And if someone doesn't like me, then maybe we just don't, you know, our personalities just clash. Um, mm. And if someone wants to think that I'm the poor tragic, I don't want them in my life. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's just getting older and it's just being more sure of myself. Um, and, you know, having certain friends around that I, I love, like my friends are incredibly important to me. Um, and, you know, th- my friends and the family, their opinion is what matters. Yeah. 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 And they don't see me like that. So yeah, yeah. Well, not you, certainly, not. <laughs> you certainly don't seem like that. You seem very joyful. And yeah, I've always been told that I'm the smiley person that's going around. So when people find out about my story, they're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's a heavy story, but it's yeah. a thing that happened to you. It's not a thing that defines yeah. you. Um, nah. So I guess what advice would you give if, if, you know, if, 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 there's someone out there who there's a small kid whose parents die or parent dies. It would be very Mm. unusual for both of them to die, but not unheard of. Mm. Um, What advice, like how should you treat a child who's lost their parents? Yeah. Okay. Um, So from the parent, from the like, 
family members, friends, whoever's looking after children from their point of view is just realize that kids don't think the same as adults. Um, there are numerous things that are going through their mind. Um, acting out is generally a way, A, to get attention. And it doesn't matter if it's good or bad. Um, it's like a puppy dog, you know, <laughs> trying to get attention. They'll start destroying everything. It's this, I think it's the same with children is that you just, you want to be seen and it doesn't matter if it's for the right or wrong reasons. As long as you feel like, Hey, I'm still here with all this, you know, stuff that's going on. Um, I'd say just try to be understanding. It's not easy. Um, but just try to understand more and, I think the people that are looking after the children, they also need to see a psychologist. They also need help because it's not an easy job. And for the kids, I would say just believe in yourself. Realize that even though it feels like everything that is happening in the now is what is the most important and that will define your future. It's what you what you lead to. It's how you you gauge the situation and act upon the situation. And if you stuff up, in that moment, hey, you've got plenty of years to start rebuilding. So don't be afraid. It's to to try out different ways of managing. I think that would be the best advice I can give. Yeah. I think it's a very personal thing as well. I think each person is different. Yeah. Yeah. And if yeah. your parents were here right now, what would you want to do with them or what would you want to say to them? If they if you can yeah. miraculously have them here, just for <laughs> What would be, what, what would you do with them? I think I'd give them the biggest hug and never let them go, for one. Um, and I would just be wanting that to just tell them about my, my son, introduce them to my son and see how he is around them. And, yeah, I don't know, just to feel the love. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, I think hugging is the biggest thing, just never letting them go. <laughs> yeah. Can you still feel the love? Like, can, even after all this time, can you still feel how much they loved you? Oh yeah. I never doubted their love for a moment. Like it's, they're an amazing parent for, you know, my mum had a hard upbringing and she was an amazing mum for, you know, everything that she'd been through. My dad's like just, he was an unreal dad. He's one of those, those dads that even though he was working like crazy as the breadwinner of the family, um, whenever he was at home on the weekends, it was just us kids. He was always there and it's, he's just one of those like dream dads, <laughs> which I think makes it harder for my husband because my expectations are on the same. <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. No That's worries. a big story. And I just sort of feel like what has happened to you is, is a, a rare thing. Um, and I guess, do you still seek support now? Do you still speak to a psychologist or anything like that or you know Not does it ever yet. rear its head you know yeah so now I don't um when I was in Peru I was um it was funny because I actually was seeing um the psychologist for emotional support on you know having a, a new child and trying to keep marriage together <laughs> I mean it ended up being more of a conversation about um you know my parents um having died and that because I just hadn't dealt with it and um properly properly you know only internally or with my friends I had dealt with it prior to that mm. um other than the 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 dad psychologist that I went to when I was a kid um but but yeah so I I think 
if I have any other big changes in my life, then maybe, but I'm not afraid to reach out. It's just finding good ones, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good yeah. that you kind of had that. Okay, well, thank you so much. Yeah. I really appreciate thank you. your time. Thank you. You've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you've heard, head to the Facebook page or the website for more information. It's thatshitshowpodcast.com. You'll find show notes and more episodes to download. Thanks so much for joining me.